in the future, make sure you don't write a hymn with the same title that somebody else has already written one. <laughs> Otherwise, we, we may repeat this this week, Lich. Let's take a moment just to still our hearts before we come to God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that Jesus came into this world, uh, that the word became flesh. We thank you that Jesus called uh, a group of very simple people, uh, people every bit like us, and he taught them as his disciples how to live. Lord, we thank you this evening that 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 ministry of Jesus didn't end when he returned to heaven. We thank you that that ministry of Jesus is every bit as real today as it it was back then. Lord, help us now as we come to your word to see that, uh, to understand it. Uh, And Lord, we pray that our lives might be uh, significantly changed as we come to this realization of just how close Jesus is, just how much his presence is here with us. So come and, and speak to us, we pray. Amen. I want to begin this evening with a a question, and it's an awkward kind of a question, if I'm honest. It won't be a new question for some of you, because you will have thought of this at some point along the way. And it's the kind of question you might have been asking yourself, particularly if you're somebody who worships regularly here with us at Kirkpatrick Memorial and maybe has to listen to me on occasion. Whenever I preach, I make no apology for inviting people to follow Jesus Christ. I use the word disciple a lot. Time and again, I I try to to share with you this idea that we're, we're learning from Jesus, that we're his apprentices, that, that we're somehow in a relationship where he is our master and, and we are his pupils. Now that's all very well, but this actually is where our problem arises. And the awkward question, I think, in relation to all of this is the how question. How do we follow Jesus? Whenever we read the Gospels and we read about disciples there, we read about a bunch of guys who who were there to hear Jesus preaching, who saw his healings, who traveled with him along the the roads and ate their meals with him. He was physically there with them. So there's something very immediate and concrete about that. Following Jesus meant, for them it actually meant signing up into his group and going off down the road with him. But what does it mean for us? So I'm back to this awkward question Uh, that I want to begin with this evening. How do you follow Jesus Christ in East Belfast in 2008? How can we follow Jesus when he isn't physically here? How does that actually work? It might sound like an awkward question at first, but I I think in the long run it's a good question. Uh, It's one that, that we definitely have to address. And I think it's one that will find its answer, not just this evening, but throughout Uh, the weeks ahead uh, as we study together in the book of Acts. 
The book of Acts, as Fiona's already told us, it tells the story of the Jesus people after Jesus is physically gone from them. Of, of the four gospel writers, Luke's the only one who, keeps, who tells the story further. He, he keeps on going after Jesus uh, returns to heaven. He, he's the one who tells the story of the apostles and the disciples and the next generation. And he tells it in such a way that it's not a new story. Okay, If you're entering into this series this evening and you're thinking, right, new book of the Bible, Acts of the Apostles, I'd encourage you immediately to rethink that. Think of this as Luke part two. Um, he's just continuing with his story because it's, in his view it's the same story. He, he spends the first um, part of his story, the gospel of Luke, dealing with about 30 years in time. Uh, that's 30 years uh, during which Jesus was physically alive on this earth. And then the second story is going to deal with the next 30 years. It's the 30 years or so after Jesus returned to heaven. It's, it's going to be 30 years of what happens in the community of Jesus after he's gone to heaven. Whenever we read Acts, we see that some incredible things that Jesus promised uh, came true. At the Last Supper, uh, and you can read this in some chapters there in John's Gospel, Jesus said something that, that I don't think I ever really believed. I think I'm, I'm getting to the point where I think I can believe him. He said this. He said, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll even do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Like, do you believe him? It's one of those hard ones. If you believe that, if you immediately ticked and said yes, I would say you're not taking that very seriously. You're not really taking seriously what Jesus is saying. He's saying that we're going to do the things that he did and we're going to do more. It's a, it's a huge thing that he's saying. And then in his final prayer for these disciples, he makes that promise to them. And then he, he sort of places their lives in parallel with his he prays to the Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus is placing his sending of his disciples. He's saying that that somehow stands side by side with his own mission into the world. Do you see the scale of what Jesus promises his disciples? Well, we're going to discover just now this evening, but, but certainly in future weeks, how all of this came about in the book of Acts. Even if we didn't know that Acts was the second part of Luke's story, we'd soon pick it up from his own introduction. Look at the first couple of verses there. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that God began to do and teach, or sorry, all about that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So he says he's written a previous book. And it's all about Jesus. Turn back with me to the, the opening chapter of Luke's Gospel. Page 1025. Just very quickly. Um, you'll see that he gives a similar introduction there. Luke chapter 1 on page 1025. Luke says there that many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. 
just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke says, listen, some other people have written about this as well, but I'm going to write an account for you, Theophilus, so that you know the reliability of what you've been taught. I want you to notice just one thing from both of those introductions to both volumes of Luke's story. Notice the name of the guy he's writing for. Theophilus. It's a Greek name and it means friend of God. Now there's a a bit of debate among the scholars and the commentators about whether this is an actual person or whether it's a pseudonym. Whether Luke is writing to a different person or to a community of people and he's just chosen to use this name. But all of that doesn't really matter very much for our purposes this evening. Luke is writing to a friend or, or a bunch of people who are friends of God. Folks, the, the only proper audience for a gospel about Jesus Christ is people who love God. People who want to be drawn uh, towards God as they come to know his son Jesus better. The only proper audience then for, for this next book, for Acts, again, is people who love God. This might seem a strange thing to say for, from somebody who's, only, who's been a minister for quite a while and been preaching for quite a while. I think it's only beginning to dawn on me how transforming it can be to read the Gospels. To, to enter into them with a mindset where you say, right, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to learn from everything I, I see him do and everything that I hear him say. I'm beginning to find that a very life-changing experience. And, and I hope you are occasionally, too, as, as we study in, in Matthew's Gospel and you see, whenever we come to, with an open, open mind and an open heart and a prayer saying, Father, show me your son. Teach me what he was like and make me more like him. I think we're praying a prayer that God longs to answer. I think it's a, it's a very simple posture to take before God and one that God honors if we can do that. Folks, I, I just think these, these times that we spend in in the Gospels in particular, can be a very precious time. Before I launch into chapter 1, I want you to notice just one more thing that confirms what we've been saying already. So back to Acts chapter 1. And this is the thing that, that Fiona picked up on on her preparation this evening. Very, very well done, Fiona, to, to pick up on that. It's, it's, it's small, but it's so significant. Luke says, in my former book, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do until the day he was taken up to heaven. Everything that we've seen in Luke's gospel is only the beginning. Jesus' work now is going to continue. It's as if Luke is saying, Jesus hasn't finished his work. He might have returned to heaven, but he's still very much at work in this world. Pay attention now. 
and, and watch and learn and see what Jesus did in his community after his resurrection and his ascension. So let's get stuck in into Acts chapter 1 and, and see what these things are that, that Luke has promised us. In the first half of chapter 11, Acts actually overlaps with the final part of Luke's gospel because they both deal with the ascension of Jesus. They both deal with the period between his resurrection and ascension and then finally with his ascension. So if you flick back to page 1062, you'll notice there that the gospel of Luke finishes with his ascension. And here in in Acts chapter 1, Luke fills in a bit of the detail of those incredible 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. Sorry, I sent you back to to Luke. I shouldn't really have. Acts chapter 1. Let's stay there for the rest of our time together. Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Just a quick summary, really, of Jesus' activity during that whole period. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men... And he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now, it seems to me that being with Jesus at any period would have been just a wonderful thing. But I find it hard to imagine just how incredible this, this 40 days, this six weeks would have been. Here, the disciples of Jesus who had seen him crucified on a Roman cross and and seen him rise from the dead get to spend time with him. I I quite honestly think that these these weeks would have changed their lives entirely. I think that these weeks and the memories of them would have lived on in their lives for decades I think in hard times, in times of disillusionment, they would have looked back particularly maybe to these weeks. This time that they spend with uh, the resurrected Jesus. I think it must have been just a wonderful preparation for the time they had ahead. In verses 4 to 5, Luke gives us an insight into the kinds of things that Jesus was saying to his disciples in this period. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now picture the scene. The disciples are with the risen Jesus. They're still in Jerusalem. But here they have a risen Savior beside them. They know I don't think they knew until Jesus rose from the dead for sure that he was the Christ. But now they know. So they're ready to go into all the world and begin to to talk about Jesus. If they were willing to preach before they saw him raised from the dead, now they're, they're unstoppable. They just want to go into the world and preach and preach and preach. But Jesus says no. Wait. There's something that needs to happen before you charge out there under your own steam. Wait for the Spirit. 
And I, I wondered as I read it how good we are at this in our own lives or, or as church communities. There are times when for one reason or another we get it. We, we get a, a burst of energy or a, 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 a load of vision or enthusiasm. And, and we're ready to go and, and, and to do things. And sometimes, you know, we, we, we give it away maybe in our prayers. Sometimes we pray asking God to bless those things that we've already decided we're going to do. We know what we're going to do. And then we say, Lord, bless the, the cart's entirely before the horse. Here Jesus speaks to his disciples and, and he encourages them not to do anything until they're sure the Spirit has come and is on them. But let's, let's learn to be a community and, and individuals who, who are attentive and, and waiting for the Spirit. I just mentioned a moment ago what an incredible period this must have been where the disciples had arisen Jesus with them. I find it quite easily, I easily idealize this period as if everything in church life was perfect. The early church, we talk about the early church. If only we could get back to being like the early church. We'll soon learn actually as we go ahead in, in the book of Acts that that's not, not a, a very... A wise way to approach the early church. You'd think at this moment where Jesus is with them, where he's teaching them, that everything's clear. And the disciples know exactly what they're doing, but apparently not. Look at verse 6. We're told here of an occasion where the disciples got together and they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now it's a question that must have disappointed Jesus. John Calvin's not too complimentary in his commentary on the, uh, the disciples at this point. He says, there are as many errors in this question as there are words. Uh, I'm glad he's not a, a school teacher. Uh, I just thought it was a, a lovely comment. As many errors as they are words. They got it wrong from start to finish. John Stott's a wee bit more measured, but he says that the, the verb, the noun, and the adverb of their sentence all betray doctrinal confusion about the kingdom. The verb restore shows that they were expecting a political and territorial kingdom. The noun Israel shows that they were expecting a national kingdom. And the adverbial clause at this time shows that they were expecting the kingdom to be established immediately. They got all this entirely wrong. And Jesus gently deals with them in verses 7 to 8. He deals with their misunderstanding. First of all, he deals with the timing. He says, listen, fellas, it's not for you to know the times. Forget about that. Don't be expecting the kingdom immediately or at a time that you can predict. Secondly, Jesus deals with their under, misunderstanding of the nature of the kingdom. It's not going to be political and territorial. It's going to be a, a spiritual thing. It's when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So here we have a definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the place where people are inhabited by the Holy Spirit of God. It's when God sets up his rule in lives by the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, Jesus deals with the misunderstanding 
about the disciples' expectation that the kingdom of God is going to be a national thing, that it's going to be an Israel thing. No, says Jesus. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, but then also in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This kingdom isn't for Israel alone. The kingdom here is going to spread throughout the entire world. In both of these conversations, both of these short conversations, Jesus makes a promise. I wonder if you've seen it. He promises them in verse 5 and in verse 8 that he will send the Holy Spirit, that he won't leave them alone. Friends, I wonder, do we have any idea how futile and how non-existent life with God is when the Spirit's not involved? There is no life with God without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the way in which God works in this world. I'm not going to ask you to do it because I promised I wouldn't. Don't turn to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, okay? But remember what it says. It talks there about the, the earth being dark and formless and empty and the Spirit hovering over the waters. For creation to take place and to begin, the Spirit had to be present there. Now don't turn with me to Luke chapter 1 where Gabriel the angel appears to Mary and tells Mary that she's going to have a baby. And Mary says, well how can that be? I've never been with a man. What is it Gabriel says? It'll happen by the Holy Spirit. So there's no creation without the Holy Spirit. There's no saviour. There's no salvation without the Holy Spirit. And here we're being told that there's no community of Jesus' people until the Holy Spirit comes. <coughs> Folks, I've missed out hundreds of spirit moments along the way. I've gone for the big three. The Spirit's there in creation. He's there in Christ. And he's there in Pentecost. The Spirit is the way in which God chooses to be present in this world. And what we're going to find now in the Acts Think about this for a moment. Because Jesus is physically gone, you'd almost, we're going to expect that we're going to see the Spirit more and more and more prevalent. And that's exactly what we find. In Luke's Gospel, he mentions the Holy Spirit 17 times. The Acts of the Apostles is about the same length, and yet the Spirit's mentioned 57 times. So the Spirit is really taking center stage here in the Acts of the Apostles. I'm calling it the Acts of the Apostles, but really we shouldn't. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is a book where the, the Holy Spirit comes to the fore. And what we're going to discover here is that the community of Jesus is able to do exactly the kind of things that Jesus did because the Spirit of Jesus is on them. They're able to preach with the same power and authority that Jesus did Because the spirit of Jesus is on them. They're going to pray prayers very much like the prayers that Jesus prayed. Because because the spirit of Jesus is in them and prompting them to pray those kinds of prayers. Folks, I think we have here the first and the crucial part of our awkward question. 
that we said at the start of our time together. How do you follow Jesus Christ in East Belfast in 2006? How do you follow Jesus when he's not physically present? We follow Jesus in the way that he's provided for us. In the way that all others in the history of the church have done. We follow Jesus as his spirit lives on in us. I was delighted when Fiona chose the Graham Kendrick song, We Believe, earlier in our service. Because the opening line there of the second verse, we sing, We believe he sends his spirit on his church with gifts of power. So let's be on the lookout as we study the book of Acts together for the Holy Spirit all over the place. All through. And let's increasingly be on the lookout for the presence of God's Spirit here. In our community. In these pews. In our conversations. We're going to spend just a, a much shorter period of time looking at the second half of the chapter and noticing how this new community of Jesus Christ began to live after his resurrection, or sorry, his ascension. Look, look with me at verses 12 onwards. The, the disciples after Jesus ascends into heaven, they go back to an upper room and we're told that the 11 remaining apostles other than Judas are there. We're told that there were also uh, women and other followers of Jesus, his mother Mary and his brothers all present. Now what are they going to do? What do you do when, when the master is gone? How are the disciples going to, to be disciples of Jesus Christ? Well Luke tells us in verse 14, they all join together constantly in prayer. Folks, I've already told you we're going to look out for the Holy Spirit all over and right through the book of Acts. But there's another thing we're going to be noticing. The early church prayed. When Peter and John were released from prison, they convened a prayer meeting. That's Acts chapter 4. When the apostles appoint helpers so that they continue in their ministry of the word, it's, it's also to allow them to pray. When Stephen's being stoned to death, what does he do? What's the most natural language for Stephen? It's the language of prayer. Saul in Damascus, blind and hungry for three days. He prays for help and it comes to him in the form of Ananias. I could go on, but, but you're beginning to get the point. We're going to see that prayer is the lifeblood of this new community of Jesus Christ. I want to pick up for a moment on this description of a crowd gathering in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit joined together constantly in prayer. Eugene Peterson links the presence of the Spirit to prayer and he does it like this. He says, if the Holy Spirit, God's way of being with us, working through us and speaking to us, is the way in which the continuity is maintained between the life of Jesus and the life of Jesus' community, then prayer is the primary way in which the community actively receives 
and participates in God's presence and God's working and God's speaking. Prayer is our way of being attentive to God who is present to us in the Holy Spirit. Here's the second part of our answer. How do you follow Jesus Christ when he's not physically present with you? It's in prayer. God gives us his spirit and we receive the spirit as we're open and we're prayerful. We open our lives to the spirit as we pray. I don't want to spend an awful lot of time in the the detail of the remainder of the chapter. But it seems to me that that whole incident that Luke records there is, is an example, actually. He wants to show us that prayer is happening in this early community. So on one occasion, in one of their prayer meetings, Peter stands up and he says, well, to cut a long story short, he says there's a job vacancy. There were 12 apostles And now we're down to 11 because of Judas, his betrayal of Jesus and and his taking of his own life. So it's a personnel issue. They've narrowed it down to two candidates. The first a guy called Joseph, who's called Barsabas and also known as Justice. I think this guy probably had a complex. I mean, if you have three names and nobody's sure which of these is your name, I wasn't surprised to find that they went for Matthias. It seems easier, if nothing else. But, but they have a choice to make here between these two. And how are they going to make that final decision? Well, look at verse 24. Then they prayed. And I love this prayer. I think it's so down to earth. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left. It's great, isn't it? Lord, show us, because we don't know. We, we, this was quite ironic for me. I was preparing this while this week we've had a couple of meetings in the church here to think about some part-time appointments that we might make in church life. And I was able to share with the guys in those meetings about this very stuff here. I wonder, I wonder is our walk with God as every day and as concrete as that? When we're going to make an appointment Maybe for an administrator in a church office. Is it our first reaction? Is that the first thing that comes to mind? That we would, we would pray? For these guys it seems as natural to them as breathing. Before you move, you pray. I think we're going to learn a lot about this community of Jesus. We're going to learn a lot about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to learn a lot about prayer. So, how do we follow the risen, ascended Jesus in Belfast in 2008? We do it as we prayerfully receive the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, you're going to do the same things and greater things after I go. You know, this phase that we live in isn't a second best. This is Jesus' plan for how he would reach and change the world. That we would live not not with him physically 
beside us, but with his spirit indwelling us. I wonder, I wonder could we catch a vision for that? That having the spirit in us is not even the same as having Jesus beside us. It's better. I wonder could we? Let's pray.